High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Like, oh my god, bitchin'. And I'm gonna stop with the Valley Girl accent. But welcome, all you Valley Girls, Valley Guys, Valley Boys, all you people who speak the old Valley speak. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years with the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Of course, your assignment was to watch the film Valley Girl. You can stream it on Amazon Prime. You can get it a bunch of places now. It wasn't available for a while, but now it's back. This is an early Nicolas Cage film, but it's so much more than that. So much so that I'm just going to tell you off the bat, this is a two-parter. We had over three hours and 20 minutes of raw footage. Now, the final episode... Even both parts are not going to be that long because, well, we talk a lot, but I'll edit it down to a nice length. Still, I wanted to make it into two digestible portions because, again, this movie, very underrated. We have a lot to talk about. And the other reason, of course, Kate Hudson, Mike Manzi, they were my guests, and there may have been some wine involved. That There is a rumor of that. But these two guests, you know, they're my most prolific guests. They've been on the most in 2020. I wanted to get them on together. Kate This is one of her Hudson Five. She loves this film. She's got a lot to say on this film. She's done some journalistic research on this film. So you definitely want to check that out here. And Mike, well, he's the co-founder of the Cage Club Podcast Network, our flagship. And of course, that's named after Nicolas Cage because the first show ever on this podcast network was Cage Club, the show on the Nicolas Cage films. Check that out in the archives at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And that's where you can check this show out as well. And of course, you can listen to us wherever you're listening to us right now, whether it be Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button, give us a five-star rating if you can, write us a positive review if you can, and of course, one thing you can do to help this podcast out is tell a friend about all the great things that happen here on High School Slumber Party, and have them listen twice a week, Monday through Fridays these days. And of course... Your homework. Yes, it was to watch Valley Girl, but I didn't forget about your other homework, and it's your homework every week. Listen to these episodes. Please support us. Friday's episode was a really important one for me, a personal one for me. I had my two cousins on. You know Cousin Pumpkin. He was there, but also my other cousin, Michael Conrad Tavares. Yes, that's how he pronounces his last name, Cousin Pumpkin. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but they were both on to talk a great film, a Netflix film, a film that is very, you know, representative of Latin culture and Bronx culture and New York culture, and that's Vampires vs. the Bronx. Check it out on Netflix. Check out our episode at our archive. That was Friday's episode. 
And believe it or not, representation is an important thing we talk about today. Yeah, we talk Nick Cage. Yeah, we talk the awesomeness that is Valley Girl. But this episode gets good and fun and educational. Is it silly? Sure. Do we go off on tangents? Sure. But it gets really, really fun, too. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. But you know what? It's a Monday, and this is going to be a Valley Girl week. And I want to get into it so badly. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother you're sleeping at Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. And what other song should I leave you with than the coolest song on the soundtrack, I Melt With You by Modern English. Class dismissed. Oh, and one more reminder. Once again, if you weren't paying attention or weren't listening, this is just part one of the two-parter for Valley Girl this week. Tune in on Friday for that. You don't want to miss it. Both episodes are great. To be honest with you, I haven't heard the second part yet. It's a lot of editing, but it's a labor of love. Well, what am I saying? Let's play the good music. Let's hear the episode. You be the judge. See you on the other side. I'm very happy today because of a, a lot of things are happening. We're getting a Hudson 5 movie in, which is a big deal. Whoa. I think that this finishes our Hudson 5 oh. for the year. We do have some Hudson 10s out there floating yeah. out in space. but And I just feel the need to interrupt. Last time we got a Hudson 5, I was a little tipsy on a podcast. And guess what, guys? A little tipsy on a podcast. <laughs> Warning everyone, but mm-hmm. this is one of the movies I think you've said that you could probably be 10 bottles of wine in and still probably be able to talk about. <laughs> 10 bottles of wine in, I'm slurring on the ground, crying about <laughs> like how I'm like pretty and why am I single. So probably not. <laughs> 10 bottles, yeah. That would be a different, a different <laughs> turn for the podcast. But <laughs> The two of you, though, are for 2020 my most guested people. So... <gasps> And I feel like you both Whoa. have an area of expertise in this film, so mm. thought I'd bring the two of you on Aww. together. Yes. Ma- you know, maybe you two, <laughs> maybe you'd be elected prom king, Mike. Maybe you'd be elected prom <gasps> queen, Kate. I don't hey, know. It's- is that our is that our monikers now? I was going to go. Oh, my I've God. Been, so, like, I don't know if Kate knows, but I've been referring to her as the most popular girl in school because of how often she's on your show. And- <laughs> <laughs> She is the most popular girl on this podcast. That's for and, sure. And I sort of think of myself as maybe one of the cooler kids that like doesn't try as hard, but still shows up. Uh, so now we're the prom king and queen. Oh. I'm honored. Did, you, did you guys go to prom? I didn't go to prom. Yeah, technically this one's junior prom. Uh, I went to both. I went to senior prom with a bunch of friends, so I didn't have like a date for that per se, but I did for junior prom. Okay. How about yeah, you, Yeah, I went to all my proms. Oh. Kate, 
why did you not go to prom? Oh, because I was too cool for it. I was like a shit about it. And then I graduated high school a year early. So I really only had junior Ooh. prom. And I'm like, what's the point of this? This is dumb. I don't like any of you people. I kind of <laughs> I, I, okay. I, I like them now. I always hung out with upperclassmen because they had cars. So <laughs> by the time it ran around to junior prom, I hadn't really made friends with anybody other than the other two cool for school kids. So, yeah. But you, n- you never crashed a prom because that happens in this film. No, because if I remember, granted, dudes, it's been like 20 years. I I think there was a lot of security because I went to high school after the whole like height of school shootings, like Columbine. Oh, okay. So I think, yeah, I think like it was much harder to sneak in. And I think you had to have tickets and like all all that jazz. Fair, fair. Brian, did I mention that my junior prom, I mentioned on a previous show that my junior prom took place on a boat around the Hudson that we all got on there and piled on and they they had the nerve to drive a bunch of juniors around the harbor for a while (laughs) as if we weren't going to start throwing chairs overboard at one point. (laughs) What are they thinking? You did mention it, but it's always welcome to mention again. I think it was on our Blockers episode you mentioned yes, it. But, yes, yes. You know, that's an amazing image. And I mean, it must have been pretty cool. Oh, yeah. No, it was a lot of fun. It was very, it had a very sort of filmic quality to it, right? Like, it's just a party boat. And we're all stupid underagers that are sneaking booze and, like, having a blast. And, yeah, it was a good time. And how many years before they allowed the junior prom to be held on a boat again? Yeah, that was probably the last year. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our class, like, so I graduated in 97, but there were rumblings during the 90s about, ooh, like, kids in school are getting bad. They're starting to misbehave a lot. And it's like juvenile delinquency is on the on the verge again. And then two, three years later after I graduated, it's like, well, it's really getting bad. Like, no one was, hey. no one was doing, like, school shooting drills when I was in high school. So you mentioned 97, Mike perfect segue because we almost forgot again why don't you introduce yourself okay so um mike manzi class in 97 rhs like go maroons totally (laughs) kate (laughs) uh kate hudson east anchorage high school class of 2002 t-birds let the dogs out hoo 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 back to the dogs being out i love it today of course we're talking valley girl from 1983 like I mentioned, it's a Hudson Five film, and it's a film that you've definitely wanted to be on Kate Express interest soberly and drunkenly <laughs> on this show. But Mike, of course, you're here not just as the most tenured guest, but you're also the co-host of the flagship program for the Cage Club Podcast Network, the actual OG Cage Club podcast. So you were the yeah. cage expert here as well. So, you know, I feel like everyone's very qualified today. Man, this took me back, too. Let me tell you, I don't think I've seen this movie since we did it for the Cage Club Revisited, which was like maybe, uh, I don't know, a year after we reviewed it for the first time, which this was the third episode of Cage Club ever. Joey and I, and uh, yeah, it's a blast from the past in a lot of ways, and I loved rewatching this. It just had such a great time. Guys, I was about to say, I've seen it five times this year already. This year? <laughs> oh my god. Excellent. Because it got released on streaming, and that was a big deal, so I didn't have to get my DVD out. I like did not have to watch it today, yeah. but I did again. That's a big deal I noticed, is because I have this on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray, but like I'll just mm-hmm. stream whatever I own if it's streaming, too. Oh yeah. Actually... My first purchase ever on Amazon, my first purchase as a little capitalist, was the Valley Girl VHS in 1998. Wow. (laughs) A lot of history with this film then. Fucking love it. By watching it this time, I realized 
Believe it or not, I had never seen this film. Mike, no. I listened to what? I, what? I listened to your episode on it, so I kind of thought I had. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I'd never seen this film. And there's a specific reason why I'm like, yeah, I definitely never saw this before. We'll get into it. But yeah, so I'm so excited to talk about it today. I'm the Valley Girl novice here. Quick question. I, I was like, let me take advantage of this moment because I talk about so many films that take place in the Valley on this podcast. <laughs> Kate, you lived in LA, so I need you to be my LA expert. What is the Valley? Just, I don't know. Can you explain that? briefly so the best way to describe the valley and valley girl is when you take the 101 past the hollywood uh, mountains i believe and your first stop is oh i think it's cold canyon but the valley is really defined by the highways so it's la sits in a basin and it's surrounded by mountains so you drive out of the mountains and then you're in the valley interesting why i guess my next question will be like why are so many high school films and if you could venture a theory why do so many high school films take place in this this mythical valley that's where the white kids were <laughs> in la in the 80s and the 90s like, it's very it's very simple <laughs> yeah brian from what i can understand just from the opening shot is you get this great bird's eye view helicopter shot of hollywood and you get the hollywood hills and all that and you see that layout and then they go over the the sign and you see the valley and it's it's just mass constructed like uh, suburbs, right? So it just seems like it was total um, like planned out and everything is like, oh, people are all going to come to California and live here and move here and raise families here and stuff. So it almost just feels like it was, um, you know, one of those um, cookie cutter communities in a lot of ways or something. But yeah, I mean, it's actually in an actual valley, if I'm not mistaken, too. So that's why it's called the valley that's my limited knowledge about what's going on there here's the thing about the valley it has ample parking it has ample shopping malls it has ample like chain restaurants and the streets are much wider and back when this movie was filmed it definitely had a lot less crime like a lot less so there's crime in the valley now well i mean there's crime everywhere in la because the valley used to be like the the lone holdout of like affordable middle class housing um in like the 80s and the 70s and nothing in la is affordable now like nothing Gotcha. <laughs> like, I mean, not that even makes Valley. Sense. <laughs> <laughs> I think just also like a lot of teen culture like emanated from there because it's in California, so close to Hollywood that they just didn't go far looking for trends. You know, when they're making lots of movies, like Brian, how far do they make it? Like maybe Arizona and half the movies you and I have talked about, right? Where high schools take place. You know, you know, Christian Slater yeah. goes to high school in Arizona, and all those are, are like New Mexico and stuff. So it's like it's really funny how by coast a lot of these experiences are and so i just feel like this is a very sort of la movie oh for sure you can't forget the chicago cluster though like that's huge for yeah, yeah. That's, what I'm, that's what i mean there's like these clusters exactly you know mm-hmm. and- but i think valley girl because it was made in 83 really kicks off that trend because how many teen movies are like early early 80s i feel like this is like the first one really oh absolutely and i'm sure this is in the notes and all but like the valley girl trend like exploded across the world really like to the point where we i still use totally all the time to talk about things and just the vernacular and the speech pattern and all that stuff just took the country by storm and so it was just a matter of time before there was a movie about the trend and and that whole situation i was reading some like reviews from like people of the day who saw it and they're like it's less jarring to watch today than it was at the time because a lot of the lexicon has just become part of our language. Totally. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, I find that so fascinating. And honestly, I'm just going to tip my hand a little bit. Loved this movie watching it more than I thought I would. So excited to talk about it. But Mike, you, uh, you mentioned something and I think you're going to need to help me out here. You might need to run. I'm not sure what's in arm's length, but I couldn't find a back of VHS DVD or anything like that to read. You're going to have really? to pull something. Yeah, just not a picture of it online. I don't know why. Ugh, you're going to have to give me a second, if you don't mind. If, if you think Kate could filibuster, unless she's got it next to I, her. I was about to say, I do have the tagline memorized by heart. <laughs> she's cool, he's hot, uh, she's from the valley, he's not. Ooh, that's what a cool tagline. <laughs> right? All right? I'm back. They well, all have quick. they all have different things, like the VHS, the DVD, and the Blu-ray are all different descriptions. So you got to do VHS, because okay. that's the most, like original yeah i agree all right you ready mm-hmm. okay valley girl is a romantic comedy about a 15 year old san fernando valley girl julie and her unlikely love affair with randy a leather clad guy from hollywood their relationship shocks julie's friends who want her to get back together with her val dude tommy conscious of her social position at valley high julie is torn between randy and tommy Giving in to peer pressure, she reluctantly drops Randy and goes to the prom with Tommy. Her free-spirited 60s parents, Sarah and Steve, who run a health food store, watch proudly as Tommy whisks Julie off to the prom. When the couple are just about to be crowned prom king and queen, the love-struck Randy and his faithful friend, friend Fred, sorry, faithful friend Fred. Say that three times fast. <laughs> I'm drinking, so no. <laughs> Plan some surprises to reunite the true couple in love. Wow, spoilies. I have a bone to pick with the way you read it, because it's not Randy, it's Randy. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, I wasn't about to start that in a Valley accent, because it was not going to last, like for sure. <laughs> I cannot say that name without saying Randy, because I've just seen this movie now for like 25 years. It's, it is embedded in me so then kate uh you were kind of saying it while mike was away what is your history with valley girl like the first time you saw it and so on okay so back in the 90s back in the the stone ages vh1 used to have a music themed movie every friday night and so i saw this in like february 1998 halfway through and i was like why is nick cage so hot why is the music so good (laughs) why is this movie so amazing and so i tracked it down on amazon and i became super obsessed with it like how many years ago is that 22 years ago That's awesome. I mean, and then again, you're a fan ever since. How about you, Mike? Any early memories of Valley Girl? Oh, yeah. So I used to watch this in like junior high, like seventh and eighth grade. I discovered it, I guess, maybe like around the time of what was the one with McDreamy? Can't Buy Me Love? Like, I think around the same time. Yeah, yeah, You know, Brian, I mentioned like I was in Walking Distance of a Tower video. So like I definitely picked that up there. And, you know, as sort of a young punk, I was really down with the soundtrack to this like it's a great mm-hmm. new wave soundtrack and a lot of like the bands i listened to at the time did some covers of songs in this and so this is just very much like part of just like my entire teen years and stuff and then sort of um didn't watch it for a while and then when cage came back around as a subject of podcasting like fell in love with it all over again did you have the the two cd compilation of the covers of the soundtrack i did not no i could only get my hands on ha- like one of the soundtracks at the time i there's like there a lot two? going on. There's at yeah, least, so there's yeah. two originals that you could get on CD. And then probably in like 97, 98, a bunch of punk bands did a cover of the first and the second one. Like Pansy Division is doing, I think, Johnny, Are You Queer? Oh my God, Kate, this is like 
so up your alley that that exists and that happened like did they do that just for you i don't know but you know but okay so for the record that song is really offensive because it's basically making fun of a guy for not being into a girl and but if pansy division exactly pansy division is a gay punk band so it's okay so you can like that song only when they sing it. Yeah, and Josie Cotton's, you know, a woman. So it's from her perspective. It's, you know, I thought it was very, like, at the time, that was part of the thing that, like, turned me on about, about this music is, like, the subject matter. I was like, holy shit, I'm not hearing this in any other, like, Van Halen's not singing about this. So it was, you know, it was very alluring. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, to, but to be fair, the best Josie Cotton song in the soundtrack is He Could Be The One. I love that song. And Check. do you know what other song I get really drunk to and play it all the time is a song they do it to, Sparks, Eaten by the Monster of Love. That's like a top 25 <laughs> song for me. You are an expert on this soundtrack. Oh, I'm an expert on this movie, period. You're going to have to shut me up. <laughs> no, no. I, I brought you two together so we can have some awesome Valley Girl fun. There's no, there's no shutting up here. I imagine this is going to be a chaos tornado of beauty today. Yeah, especially because <laughs> I'm like halfway through a ball of wine. But you know, one of my last posts for Pajiba was I got to interview some of the original Valley Girls. Ooh. Oh. Did you talk to Moon Unit Zappa by chance? Or? No, I got to talk to E.G. Daly, who played Lauren, and uh, ah. Heidi Holliker, who played Stacy, for like 30 minutes. It was amazing. Yeah, E.G. Daly, I think I could speak for like most guys in general, maybe like most straight men, like just totally crushed on her my entire life. Like still Love like her. her. I don't think you need to be st- straight to crush on E.G. Daly. Oh, no, no, no. you're right. You're right. I'm just ignorant. <laughs> By the way, those women have held up amazingly and they were so excited to talk about the original Valley Girl instead of talking about the remake. Oh yeah. We, they're in it? The remake's terrible. Yeah. They, oh. they I refuse to watch it. I refuse. Oh my God. I saw it. So my friend, when I still lived in LA, dragged me to a press, like, not a press screening like one of those like audience participation screenings like when they're trying to work out the movie we didn't understand what it was it was the fucking valley girl remake it was atrocious it was terrible the best part was seeing deborah foreman again i mean that's that's amazing i want to see it for nostalgia reasons i was gonna Mm. save it towards the end but i got uh, one note burn all the copies would be my one (laughs) it's terrible i went into it probably not sober to begin with and i still hated it and i love everything when i'm drunk well like they turned it into a musical right like it's High School Musical well, or Grease, from what I understand, because I won't like watch ju- any of it's, it. It's not even Grease. It's like a jukebox musical. So it's them singing just songs from the 80s, and the girls are all way too skinny for their like double zero costumes. So like their 80s costumes are like bunching around them and sagging because they're too skinny for the period clothes. It was horrible. And then fucking Logan Paul played Tommy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, most reviews of that film use the cliche valley girl line but maybe we'll agree gag me with a spoon (laughs) i don't think they ever ever say gag me with a spoon in the movie though no i think they're just people being like cute like don't watch don't watch the new valley girl gag me with a spoon or you know probably not in that way but you know yeah i mean f that stop remaking things yeah it's totally grody yo like just (laughs) yeah it. it tastes like clorox I think it's okay to remake things when you're putting a new contextual spin on it, right? And making it more accessible for a modern audience. Just fucking turning. No, not this one. And like the math doesn't. So my thing is math with these movies. Like we've talked about this in Heavenly Kid. The math doesn't add up. It doesn't doesn't fucking add up that Alicia Silverstone is a teenager in the early 80s relaying the story of her lost love to her current teenager. Because that's how the movie starts. That's the framing device. Oh. Yeah, you know what else doesn't work? Like, you can't really update Valley Girl because it's an update already of a classic piece of literature, people. Like, it's 
Romeo and Juliet. So, like, just remake Romeo and Juliet a different way and leave Valley Girl alone. It's already done. It's not an original story. It's just an original way to tell the story. I yeah. completely agree with you. Yeah, bring it to space if you want to update it. <gasps> say. Make it between the, like, a Martian and a, and a Zeepzorp or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm into that. Or Vampire and Werewolf. There you go. Well. Twilight. Hey. <gasps> oh. That's why I love Twilight. Gonna plug a couple things right now, but yes, for sure. <laughs> Twilight Forever, guys. We're almost we're almost home with it. Uh, very excited. <sighs> That's what you maybe have recognized Kate from here. If you're a Twilight fan and you're just like, let me check her out on Valley Girl. We just have part two of the conclusion to go, but who knows where it'll take us. And then I'm excited for next year's lap. Joe Two's yes! gonna join us. So excited. I'm very excited about that. I figured I'd plug it now. And then, Kate, I'm going to grill you a little bit later when it comes to the cast here. But, Mike, you've mentioned a couple times the whole Frank Zappa, Moon Unit Zappa, Valley Girl song, which supposedly inspired this film, even though apparently they didn't let them use the song on the soundtrack, which is fine. Whatever. Like, oh my god! I'd heard that song before. I didn't realize how early that song came out because, or even Valley Girl, like the 83 date surprised me because that's, yeah, because that's relatively early in my mind of when like I, well, again, I wasn't alive in 83, but when I thought like the Valley Girl movement, if you will, was, I guess the only Valley movie that I know that predates this is Fast Times at Richmond High. And that's 82, and that's early. But we're not getting into, like, the meat of John Hughes movies till like, about now. I think this is, like, a forgotten high school classic, if you will. I know we don't see school a lot, but that doesn't matter to me. These are teenagers. Yeah, and also, I don't, you know, those John Hughes movies aren't about, like, a cultural movement. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Necessarily, like, you have characters that represent parts of different teen culture and stuff but in this one it's all the valley girls you know and guys and then there's like the two rocker dudes who don't belong and like that's (laughs) it but i think you're right like it does seem early but i don't think it's unusual like i think what happens normally is like say that zappa song comes out the valley girl trend sort of like gets kick-started and then it takes a while for a movie to come out you know what i mean like even like to come up with the idea of that or to sort of figure out how to play off of something like that and probably by the time this rolls around like first of all there's enough music but second of all i don't necessarily think frank zappa's style would fit here per se like i think it's interesting his music i was never like the biggest fan but it's definitely like impressive stuff but again it's not like pop music you know so maybe it was just I think they were kind of calling it out, calling the culture out, and this is sort of embracing it. And so maybe there might have been a clash there somewhere of ideals and things. And, you know, I, I don't know. Again, it's a lot of just I mean, conjecture, but. It was the 80s, right? And that was like the big time of coked out bros being like, this song's popular. Let's make a movie about it. Like we have Valley Girl. <laughs> we have Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Like I'm sure yeah. they're. Peggy Sue Got Married. Peggy Sue Got Married. Wizard was basically one long ad for Nintendo. Like, <laughs> like and this is totally. where I think you really like have to talk about the director Martha Coolidge because this could have been like another throwaway like bullshit girls just want to have fun which I also love but I know it's shit 
but she made it, she elevated it. Like Martha Coolidge was the one who picked the music. Martha Coolidge was the one who picked the cast. And I think I've read like the one control she didn't have was the nudity. She's like, to get the movie I wanted to make, I had mm. to get E.G. Daly's like top off. And E.G. Daly's really unhappy about that. If you see contemporary oh, interviews. No. She's like, yeah. she felt exploited. Because it is, it's exploited. Like the, the boobs do not fit with the movie. That came up in the Cage Club conversation too in that episode that was like a um, studio mandate where it was like, this is a R-rated movie for kids. We're going to push it. It needs more nudity. Like get it wherever yep. you can. It's not going to be Deb- Deborah Foreman, you know, so it better be one of her friends or two of her friends. I think we see two or three of her friends topless no 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 you just see lauren topless and then you see the slutty valley uh the slutty hall oh cage's x yeah (laughs) so yeah the studio mandated there need to be four i guess shots of breasts in the film and then they pretty much would let her do what she wanted i mean so you know how you got to get around that you show it in like a playboy magazine and you say there, there that you go. wouldn't have counted. <laughs> that wouldn't have counted. No, in Skip's bedroom, there's boobs. Maybe oh. it did count. Well, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I was like, what poster is that? Boobs. There's also the infamous Devo poster in this movie, which is oh, in yeah. Fast Time and several other movies. Absolutely. Yes. Just full disclosure, this is the reason why I realized I hadn't seen this film because I'm pretty sure I would have remembered E.G. Daly getting topless because. I'm a big fan of E.G. Daly, and I was like, well, I didn't know she did that. But more importantly, Mike, you know our mutual friend, the foodie films man himself, Kyle. Yeah. Kyle Reinfried, huge, huge E.G. Daly fan. Huge E.G. Daly fan. His time machine top five ladies, she's in there. And I asked him, like, hey, have you seen Valley Girl? He's like, I think so. I'm like, you know E.G. Daly is topless, and he's like, what? So I knew I never had that conversation with him. So that's how I knew I hadn't seen this movie. In a weird way, I'm sorry, E.G. Daly, that you're upset about that, and I totally get why. It is exploitative. It is. It is 100%. It kind of bums me out that this is now the movie with her boobs. Like, it's... Lauren is so much more than this. I love that character of Lauren. <laughs> it's a great I character. Love her. I get it. It just it's almost sad that that was like the touchstone moment. Like, oh, I haven't seen this film because I know I haven't asked Kyle if he'd seen this film before. Ugh. This uh, this definitely brought up uh, something about your podcast in general that I always kind of like clash with, and that's having to watch underage people naked. <laughs> it's like, you know, I understand if you're a teenager, it's yeah, you know, it's titillating and stuff, but I don't think it's something in the first place that they sh- that they should have like, <laughs> no pun intended, but. I don't think they should have been doing this in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Like, because but they did you, it for the boys. And it wasn't terrible. for me. Exactly. I didn't need the boobs. But and that, <laughs> it just kind of it ruins its rewatchability for me. And then not just this movie, but I'm just saying moments like that come up, and I'm like, no, oh, yeah. Do we still need that shot in the movie? Can't the director go in and like re-release it without like you know? No, what I, mean? I don't like, want. I don't want a George Lucas cut of things. I don't want like a. You don't want a. I don't want a Carl Lemley this thing for Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> 1925. I mean, the only. Plus. Boob shot I really appreciate in a teen movie is just one of the guys because it's just so ridiculous. Yes, okay, and, that's and that different. that is that is important to the story. Like that is, you know what I'm saying? Like that's the twist. Like that had to sort of be the big. It's the big reveal. So you know, it had to be. <laughs> <laughs> Watching this yesterday, though, like another, I guess, boob-related point, or, or <laughs> at least I totally, I totally agree with what you're saying. And this was not the first time, but like the first time I really sat down and realized how old I was because I found myself so much more attracted 
to the moms in this film. (laughs) (laughs) The kids, you know? Yes, this is another thing that you brought. This came up recently on another one where I was like, oh, it was, it was again, Can't Buy Me Love, where it's like, I relate to the parents now more than the kids. Like, I am definitely would hang out with this dad, like her, you know, um, Julie's dad. That's the guy, like, I'm down with now. Like, I want to just see his movie. I'm forever Team Rande, even though now I'm, like, old enough to be Randy's mom. Fuck it. I love Randy. (laughs) Nick Cage has never looked more handsome than, like, we forget that he's a very handsome man with, like, a a 1940s movie star face except for those teeth. Like, if he closes his mouth and Mm -hmm. just poses, he is a beautiful (laughs) man. Yeah, like, he is impressive for his age, you know, because he's still a teenager, but he is... Fully matured to the point where, like, they have to shave his chest mane down oh, to like a very no. well manicured, so, you know, big note sort I of have like Zangief puff. So when I when I talk to the Valley Girls, and this is something I've also read, is that basically everyone was making out with everybody, but everybody. Oh. So some of those Brian, girls that actually... reminds me of your last uh, show's episode. I hope they didn't get um, all throat syphilis from making out together from <laughs> She's So Young or whatever that. Yes, that was Joe Two's Lifetime series. <laughs> That's another topic for another day. Anyway, but yeah, sorry. But okay, so we're all making out with each other, and a few of those girls actually went to high school with Nick Cage, and they're like, he was the coolest fucking guy we knew. Really. I mean, he's still the coolest guy I know. I mean, I've been diligently awaiting his two... He's got two movies coming out in November. So we get into Croods 2 and Jiu-Jitsu. So, you know, I'm still on board. I will always and forever be a, a Cage fanatic. And Well, I hope so. You host the podcast right? with his name. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently he and uh, Deborah Foreman have been going on, too. During the, like you can tell, they had such great chemistry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They really did. They really did. Quick note on the director, because I don't want to forget this, because I found this really fascinating, Martha Coolidge. Awesome. We always like give a thumbs up when something's directed by a woman. As you know, mm-hmm. Kate, you know, the Twilight saga. I tell everyone about that, like how they replaced the director on Twilight. <laughs> and they're shocked. They're like, oh, my God. But I'm like, they shouldn't be. But regardless. No. And plus, you can tell in the quality of the movies. Absolutely. The subsequent absolutely. movies. So Martha Coolidge, like, in a lot of interviews recently, she said that she was, like, beating the drum for diversity in this film. She wanted uh, at least one of the main characters to be black. That didn't end up happening. But in the party scenes, it's probably the most diverse 80s parties, high school party scene I've ever seen. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I actually noticed that without trying this time watching it. Yeah. Do you know who I look for every single time I watch this movie and I still haven't really seen her is the girl from just one of the guys. She's supposedly in in this movie. Yeah, I think she's in the party scene, but I never catch her. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, what's her name? Joyce something. It's interesting because I had a feeling there might this might be like kind of littered with like Easter eggs and things because the guy playing Julie's dad, he was in Francis Ford. Richard Forrest. Yeah, he was in Apocalypse Now, directed by Uncle Francis, who is Nick Cage's uncle. You know, so who is like, he in Apocalypse Now? He's Cookie, right? On oh the boat? yeah, 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 yeah. Never get off the he's boat, also, man. That's but also oh more related. God. He's in the first uh, first season of Twenty One Jump Street before oh. Um, oh. he like dies in a drunk driving accident, and then they replace him with the dude who's in the X Files. Wow. Oh. Frederick Forrest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the first season. And he gets, <laughs> gets shit canned because that's why Johnny Depp took 21 Jump Street to work with Frederick Forrest. No shit. I got to rewatch those very early episodes. Because so I was yeah. a fan. I mean, I was there when Booker was still on the force. So uh, 
Spin off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gets like, I forget. I think he dies in a drunk driving accident, actually. Doesn't he? I don't know. He's Richard Jenko. He's in the first six episodes because I had the DVD set back. I don't know. We might need to cover it on our spinoff of High School Slumber Party, 21 Jump Street. Spin-off. Well, that's that mean they're high school, you know, undercover in high school and stuff. Did you do those? Absolutely. If you ever do the movies, you could also do, you know, the show, cover the show. I'm going to do the movie. I can't. If I start doing shows, I'll be doing you're, this. You're t- already till, like, there forever. Yeah. I, I, I know I'm here forever, but, but I'm going to be here like when it's creepy to talk about high school films. If I start doing <laughs> it's, I, Brian, I've got news for you now. It's cr- it's creepy now, so you might as well just go with it, man. It's borderline <laughs> creepy. Nah, like, once you hit like 25, dude, it's over. It's like, oh, join us, Grandpa. Why are you talking about E.G. Daly's boobs? You know, like that's what I don't want to be like. <laughs> I like your boobs. <laughs> Did you have you yet to cover the other Martha Coolidge high school movie? That's a cult classic, at least, and was around when no, I was. No, you're thinking a kid. it's college. It's college. That's Real a college, college movie. Yeah. Wow, yes, I haven't seen me. it, and that just goes to show how long it's been since I saw it. I thought they were in a special high school. Okay, a I guess you lot. can't. Have a lot. Oh, you know what it is? It's that, that kid skips grades, right? So he's a high school we kid. Have it's kind of cool though that Martha Coolidge has like her high school movie, then her college movie, and they're both like these very eclectic looks at a certain subculture of teenagers. First is like this whole valley phenomenon, but then with Real Genius, it's like the sort of what, like the like the savant, yeah. or maybe or something, or like the this autistic even or something. Smart little shits, basically. <laughs> yeah, just like. But she uses kids. the same cast too because. Michelle Mayrink, who played the slutty one in Valley Girl. Susie. Susie. I love Susie. Sorry, I'm a little drunk because I'm blanking on her name. She's in her movie, The Joy of Sex, which I've actually never seen. But so is Cameron Dye and Colin Camp. Oh, wow. So Fred and Julie's mom. Wow. So obviously we've mentioned Nick Cage, star here. We're going to talk about him throughout. I don't think there's much more to say at the top right here. Only that... uh, Judd Nelson was second place for this role. Oh, he would have. Sh- <laughs> oh. You know what, Judd? I'm not a fan. Not because of him, just because of his presence. Like, he's Bender and that's it. Bender's a dick. Yeah, yep. I, I'm sort of on the same team. I like him more now, I guess. Or I guess what I really like him from is New Jack City, and that's about it. And like, that's yep. how I sort yep. of yep. Try, yep. <laughs> try to envision him. New Jack awesome. <laughs> I've discussed this on other episodes, but like the Bender character might be the character that has aged the worst through the years in terms of like mm. these classic things. Think about it, The Breakfast Club, one of the most beloved high school films, ends with a freeze frame of Bender's success. He's such a fucking dick. <laughs> yeah, like you can't really root for that guy in real life. I don't know. So I saw that movie when I was 13, and I got to tell you guys, most chicks didn't root for Bender. That's very much one of those coked out 80s bros being like, <laughs> Nah, Bender's the hero, man. Let's make him a hero <laughs> type of thing. I mean, that makes sense. It's hard to really frame him as such. So, so we've, we've been mentioning Deborah Foreman as well. Kate, you mentioned it. Just the, the chemistry between them is amazing. They ended up dating. Apparently, Cage wrote her a poem. I love that. On set or whatever called American Girl. Oh. So... Is there something else I should know her from? My chauffeur. She's also in Real Genius. Real Genius, yes. But my chauffeur. I don't. I'm not huh? familiar with that. That sounds like a cool title, though. But I know her from April Fool's Day. But Brian, that's a horror yep. movie, so I don't know that you'd. Terrible. Know oh, you've told me about that. Yeah. Oh, my um, chauffeur. Oh my god, this movie sounds amazing. A, it's a Betsy Russell movies, and Betsy Russell. I think isn't Betsy Russell in? She never had a problem getting her boobs out. Am I? <laughs> no. I don't is see about her in the tramp cat. girl. 
and like Deborah Foreman. So the other movie I know her from, and I only recently realized she was in this, was The Experts with John Travolta from 1989, the the movie with Kelly Preston. He he like met his <gasps> wife yeah! on that set. So he plays like a New York City club owner, and he's secretly flown to Russia to sort of teach a bunch of sleeper agents how to be American. <laughs> she's sort of one of the Russian agents that uh, falls in love with his partner. Wow. Never even heard of that film. She's a graphic designer now because she's like, Hollywood sucks and I need to get out. So she's like in Texas doing graphic design. So yeah. if you ever like want a new logo, you should get it from Deborah Foreman. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it? <laughs> Sell like exclusive t-shirts with that print and stuff. Wow. I love her. I, mean- I- she, because she disappeared for a long ass time. Like, if you look at her IMDb, she is like nowhere for about 20 years. I mean, that's so ironic that she's a graphic designer because, I mean, I'll probably even use the art myself and I share all the posters, but this poster is iconic. But apparently she's not the girl on the poster. No, that doesn't look like her if you look at her face. It's so weird that it's not her. That's why I was confused. I'm like, wait, who's the girl in this? Like, you know. (laughs) It looks like the one he sleeps with in Hollywood with blonde hair. (laughs) That's a good call. Maybe it was. I know apparently like she didn't want to come back to do promo shots. And Cage was willing to. So they just got someone else to do the promo shots, which is so silly. Because, you know, it looks like a painting. So, yeah, like they could have just painted her face, even if she wasn't there. Right. Like, I guess it's still her likeness. I don't know. But they wanted to like punish her because you can't say no to the Coke bros in the 80s. Totally. <laughs> fair, fair. Like for sure. And then again, we've also brought up a, a lot E.G. Daly, but just want to say one more time, E.G. Daly is amazing. And Kate, I haven't sent you this yet, but I'll be sending it to you after the podcast. Mike, I've sent it to you earlier today, but the High School Slumber Party Hall of Fame, the first class. This uh, this Thanksgiving weekend, we're announcing <gasps> the first class, and uh, I've selected a, a very small group of voters, people who have been guests on this podcast, and Kate, I'll send you a ballot. <gasps> E.G. Oh, e. Daly what? is a nominee. She's going to win. She has my vote. Well, I mean, it's a Better a, Off Dead. Yeah, well, pff, and Better Done. Off Dead. We started this podcast with Better Off Dead. Mike, you were there. So. Yeah. Again, we're big E.G. Daily fans here. Yeah, so, I mean, aside from her extensive voiceover work, like, I just have to say, I knew her primarily from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the, oh, man, Dottie. But then, you know, it's 2005. I'm sitting there in the theater. I'm watching the latest Rob Zombie horror movie. Oh, yeah! It's, like, one of the most, like, amazing things I've ever seen. And suddenly she shows up at the end as, like, a crazy hooker or something. I'm like, this is incredible. I can't believe she's here. Like, I feel like this is so against type. It's working perfectly. But, (laughs) yeah, it's amazing. She's still working and, and everything, and it's awesome. I can tell you guys, because I interviewed her, she's fucking lovely and beautiful. And she's oh. like, oh, oh, we were waiting for Heidi Holliker to join the the Zoom call. She was asking me questions about my life. She's like, oh, you moved from LA, and I told her it was hard to date. She's like, no, I hear that. She is lovely. Like, Wait, I she's single. Is that what you're saying? Does she? She's, she's <laughs> I, well. I, I mean, I, know. <laughs> I, I don't I'm just know. Dreaming, but, but maybe is... Brian. I mean, you got to hook her up with Brian and somehow to get an interviewer. I don't know. I mean, I'm not putting any pressure on. I'm just saying, like, that would be a dream, right? Like, that would be oh amazing to hear that. I can just tell you that I've met a lot. Of celebrity, I've met a lot of celebrities because I lived in LA. <laughs> she was by far one of the more like genuine, nicer people who just then like has been in the industry for such a long time. 
And I think that she was also just really pleased to talk about Valley Girl and talk about her character work in it, as opposed to being like, so how do you feel about the sequel? Hmm, what was it like putting back on those clothes? Heidi, by the way, Heidi Holliker, who plays Stacy, is sort of like mm-hmm. the historian of Valley Girl. Like all of those clothes oh. in the movie, like half those clothes were her clothes. She really bangs the drum for this is like a historically like significant movie. So you have to give like props to Heidi Holliker as well. She's more behind the scenes now. I think she works on the production side while E.G. Daly stayed like more like voice work and stuff. But both those women, I think we have to give a huge amount of credit to to keeping this movie sort of relevant and in the forefront and reminding people it exists and how great it is because they they'd love to talk about it that's all i can say i've talked to people about their work before and they're just really dismissive like looking at you cusack uh (laughs) (laughs) right nice nice also a nominee for the high school slumber party hall of fame i mean i love him but he's we all know who he is but i love him but i don't you know it's like the art and the artist that sometimes it's like man yeah (laughs) these women i can just tell you if you ever run into them they are beautiful and gracious and even though it was like a press junket they were thrilled to talk about it and okay i can tell you i asked a lot of questions and some of it's in my old pajiba post because i have a terrible memory i don't remember a lot also check out all your old pajiba posts right i mean right yeah well or you or you can read my new posts at my new site called the beatrix which i am slowly but surely posting more on did that drop you didn't tell me i would have promoted it i did a soft drop and then the election happened yeah this sounds fair it sounds gross, but I'm going to, I'm going to post more now that the election's over and my mental energy. But anyways, long story short, Heidi believes Stacy and Fred would have ended up together in the movie. Mm. Oh, that, that's comforting. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I think if you guys ever encounter E.G. Daly or Heidi Holliker in the wild, they would be more than pleased to talk about Valley Girl because I think they're both really proud of that movie still. One of my favorite parts is when they're looking for the cups. She's like... <laughs> You know, she says Stacy is supposed to bring the cups, but like she never showed up. And then she just goes, whatever. And like walks out of the scene. I'm like, what was that about? Like, that is the coolest little ad lib or whatever, like extra little thing. So great. Well, that's what I love about this movie is that all these characters have inner lives and stories. And like, while we only focus on Julian Rande, like it's clear, like Lauren's going through her shit. Susie's getting laid. Stacy is like dealing with her own Valley Girl scenario with Fred. Well, all I'm going to say is that Kate, for E.G. Daly or Heidi Holliker to come on this podcast, it's up to you. You're the, like, Charlie Talbert whisperer. So. <laughs> well, I think I think one thing you got going for you is that, like, they'd be celebrated. Like, it's so nice to hear when people are actually fans of the movies that they do work in, you know? Because so many times you hear, like, stories about them not wanting to talk about fat past projects and stuff like that. <laughs> so. say. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of, right? Like, you know, I'm sure he would rather talk about um, high fidelity uh, than certain. Not things, even. No, he doesn't really even want to talk about that film. Yikes! Gross, gross so, point blank. He'll talk about and and the sequel fan. to that, that terrible, terrible sequel that uh, uh, War Inc. Which War I just Inc. thought it's probably terrible. Like the favorite thing he's made that he thinks he's made. But I don't know anyone who doesn't love this movie. To be quite honest with you, like, there's just something so celebratory about teenagers and being a teenager and that feeling of being a teenager and everything from the stupidity to the brazenness to the you know believing in love at first sight and all that kind of stuff like it's just great well now that we're 45 minutes in should we talk about some scenes in the film or (laughs) or the soundtrack or the soundtrack 
We talked about... Okay, would you like to talk more about the soundtrack? Yeah, I could do a whole episode just about the soundtrack. It's the greatest soundtrack of all time. I know you have a lot in your in the works with, like, your uh, website and some other projects, Kate. But, like, if you're ever thinking of another podcast, soundtracks would be a great one for you. Because you are an expert in these things. <laughs> Only on the movies I watch. I think people who listen to your podcast probably already suspect this i watch like the same 10 movies over and over and over again like this is not like a breadth of knowledge about all soundtracks eight of them except for con air and gross point blank are high school films so we appreciate that i think con air is a high school film how is con air a high school film high school reunion film come on it's all about what happened in high school school. (laughs) oh i saw it in junior high because i'm a dork oh i think i think we saw it at the same time i don't know who knows Awkward silence. I'm, I'm trying together. to think if I had a. I'm trying to think if I had a favorite song because, like, this oh, is Blister like. In the sun. Oh wait, are we talking about I, Valley Girl or Conair? Uh, <laughs> Valley Girl. I'm trying to bring but, but it back I, to Valley Girl. But I think we're always no, not kind with of you. Not with. But well, <laughs> always. With what's not weird, with you. What, what's crazy is like you just don't hear this in movies anymore, except for when they try to do shit like this, like. The needle dropping in Suicide Squad, which is just abysmal, right? It's like all the, it's like the worst DJ in the world. But this is like the best DJ in the 80s, like ever, just like one after another, like every scene, sometimes two songs a scene, like it'll just switch up and it's just gonna be like, who's this? Like, what's this? Like, I love this song. This song's great. So much goodness. Because Martha Coolidge heard I'll Bet I Met With You on the radio. And she's like, I have to have this song in my fucking movie. Really? Yeah, Yeah, that's 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 how that song got so popular. She put it in the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. I love this song. It's one of my favorite songs. And seeing it in the movie like this, I'm like, oh, that's super cool. Thank you, Martha. I appreciate that. I mean, Electric Avenue is an amazing song. (laughs) Come on. Also, the song they do it to by Sparks, which is like an L.A. club band eaten by the monster of love like that is such a great song and this movie itself is in a song uh so there's a early bouncing souls song off their first album called these are the quotes from our favorite 80s movies and it opens with that chick julie is truly dazzling dazzling. (laughs) and that's the quote that like kicks off the entire song and stuff so it's like come full circle this movie is like eminently quotable like that line or not too cool julie like i won't be bummed out like there's so many quotable lines in this movie and cage says fuck so much i I was like holy shit but it's like fuck off for sure okay i was like oh my god no you gotta do it in the accent because he did it in the accent you gotta do it mike (laughs) like fuck off for sure totally (laughs) yes it's so good like but i cussed like okay well i cuss now because i'm a little tipsy but i cussed when i was a teenager a hell of a lot more than i do as an adult fuck was such a fun word to say when you were like 16 and you just don't you just don't hear it it's just a lot in a teenage movie, I feel like you don't even hear it a lot in like Friday the 13th and stuff like fuck isn't just thrown around like this. And even today, really, you know, like, oh, the guys over on Too Fast, Too Forever, all those movies are PG-13 and they are allowed one fuck per movie. And it's always like a game. It's like, who gets to say it? When is it said? What time in the movie? Like all these sort of parameters. Did they sneak it in? It's just kind of great to have to see like the freedom of it, of the language flowing. Maybe because it was part of the Valley language. No. Mike, to your point though, like the, the fucks aside, but they're very important. From being on your show and watching Cage films, I noticed so much of his acting process in this film. Like there's a lot of Cage I see in later films 
Invalid Girl. And I thought that was so mm-hmm. cool that he had already decided kind of what kind of actor he wanted to be oh. like oh, in his yeah. third film, which is amazing. So like, I I wouldn't say he's like fully formed no, or anything no, no. like that, but like he's definitely got a grasp of the type of performances he wants to give even back then as today he will never i don't think he'll call it acting you know he is existing like he is channeling you know he has a certain experience when he's doing this kind of stuff and like you know it sounds like pretentious crap but like he actually you know values that and believes in it and is actually trying to get to a different place and it's all for our entertainment uh, and I think he's working on that already which is very surprising and I noticed it too because he's extremely convincing in this movie like I think everybody's doing a great job but like when he smolders he smolders and like when he rages he rages like he's hitting all of these benchmarks in these in this performance that it just feels like a real guy I almost forget it's cage uh, while I'm <laughs> watching this movie and I kind of can't do that with the rest of the characters I wonder, though, if it has to do with the fact that at least this is what the ladies told me when I interviewed them, uh, that he knew of those chicks. Like, they all ran in the same crowd, it seemed like. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, that's got to help for sure. Yeah, definitely. Right? Like, this is probably, like, one of the earlier roles, but he was, this like, in some respects, not the production quality, but this is like a high school play. Like, they, yeah. These, yeah. These people knew each other. Like, this is very That's local. a really good point. Like, I that's think really most point. of the cast comes from L.A., if not all of them. Except for the adults, like I imagine, like even the kids in the party scene, they partied with these the actors, like the main cast. Like I'm sure that's so weird, but you're, you're probably right. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing stuff like that about Fast Times as well. Which Cage was gonna be the lead, but he wasn't old enough to play Brad. There was some kind I, of SAG thing. I have a weird crush on Judge Reinhold, so I'm happy for that. <laughs> another another nominee for the High School Slumber Party Hall of Fame. Love but him. apparently, like not that they were all like making out and stuff, but like everybody hung out like real high school kids and you know try to be friendly and all you know so the chemistry definitely comes through on the screen and it's here as well i mean it's interesting too because you never feel like they already know each other you know like you feel like they're meeting and things so like it's it's different than like just being familiar it's like a comfort thing i think as to like now we can play like there's no like i'm not gonna be embarrassed in front of my friend if I there's no pretense yeah it's all it's very authentic well I, well, I think it's also when you're like a 17, 18, 19 year old actor, like the most, I think most of the cast was like 19, 20, your pretense and your bullshit comes later. When you're that young, I think that you don't have as many preconceived notions, really. Yeah. And, and Mike, really quickly, this is an Easter egg, not really an Easter egg, but just a really a reference that nobody understands probably, but... Remember Cage Club, we used to do whatever the Cage Club rewatches were called? Uh, yeah, the Revisited, yeah. Re- revisited, and you had the bingo. I was so jealous I didn't have a bingo board for oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Valley Girl. Because there's so much cageisms in this film. Red Sports Car, Cage Freakout. There are a lot of things that recur throughout his film history. Or... So. Is this the genesis of it? Probably. Yeah, I, mean, I think we could chart that with a lot of great actors. Is like they find these sort of comfort zones that they try to wedge into their performances more often. I think Cruz does a lot of that too with his stuff. It's harder to pinpoint exactly off the top of my head, but like there's definitely repetition in the things that they do and they like that maybe, you know, I don't know how that happens, but it, I think this was an early thing where we went back and we're like, damn, like there's a lot here that uh, popped up later on, for sure. When you say wedge, are you talking about the shape of the chest hair that Nicolas Cage has? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When they manscape him for the beach? Okay, he had that 
wedge in uh, Raising Arizona, didn't he? Did he? Uh, I think it's a little more unkempt, but yes, it, it's on display. Like, he's always sort of been a uh, very hairy dude with the chest. Like, uh, you know, Moonstruck in, when he's making the bread and stuff. Like, Love it's on full display. By the way, there is a growing, growing crowd on Twitter of Moonstruck haters, and it gets me Fuck so... Them. Exactly. Fuck you Fuck and the them. horse you rode in on, motherfuckers. They're like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Why do people Who like this movie? movie? It's growing. It's growing. You'll see it. And it's it's going to come. I to won't. It's, oh, I you know what it is? I would block them. It's all the, the anti-Share people because she's <gasps> being so political who? these days. Fuck anyone who doesn't love Share. I will physically fight you. And that is a Kate Hudson guarantee. Yeah. Mike. All I know is that she uh, she posts a lot of like very political things. And so I think it just, you know, a lot of people, not not even her fans. Oh. It just it happens with a lot of celebrities these days. Oh. <clears throat> John Cusack. Like... <laughs> these people are just like posting these crazy things and it's like bro what is going on in your what is happening over there by the way because i'm a little tipsy i will add one to the hudson we'll make it a hudson six if you want to ever do an episode on mermaids you call me because that is, is the high high, it, yeah it is okay. yeah uh, bob hoskins so you let me know because i am a subject matter expert on mermaids as well well i i think there's at this point another five to the hudson five but a crybaby hairspray mermaids these are all the movies i watch that rando keith coogan movie that neither of us have seen <gasps> toy soldiers toy soldiers yes can i okay we're getting off topic here but if we could ever get keith coogan to talk about a nick cage movie i could die happy that is your job on this podcast i'm hiring you to recruit actors to talk about films they're not on on this podcast because <laughs> that's my favorite thing <laughs> how we got charlie to talk about the finger bang <laughs> oh amazing <laughs> amazing but you know what though keith coogan also a high school slumber party hall of fame nominee no votes so far so Kate, well you haven't sent that fucking ballot to me yet have you <laughs> i have not <laughs> But he needs to at least get one vote. I know he'll get one from you. Oh, I fucking love Keith. Mike, how have you not voted for Keith Coogan? What's wrong with you? I haven't voted at all in general yet, but uh, I could just say that I was very jealous that I was not on the Hiding Out episode. <laughs> because Mike, I didn't know any. I didn't know anyone else knew the film Hiding Out. So the fact that you even so I have a friend. I have my a... mind. I have a very, <laughs> I have a very close friend. One of like my five closest friends always wanted to be like a stockbroker. Grew up to become a stockbroker. Really? And really? saw this movie in high school and <laughs> came to school the next day and grilled me about it. I was like, oh shit, yeah, I actually did see that movie on HBO. And it became like a whole joke about us. Like every time we would go to like a fence with a gate, we would pretend to like jump over it if there was a door. Oh my like, god! All kinds I'm of shit. Now. <laughs> Did you get the skunk stripe in your hair? Oh, you know what? I did have sun in, and it did turn in a little orange <gasps> at one point. It, was, it wasn't right. because of this movie, but that was part of the fashion at the time. That was before I went full green. That sounds like 93, 94 then, because I remember sun in around yeah. that time. Yep. Wait, have you done the craft yet, Brian? I have not. That's a popular one. Uh, I'll do it. I'll do it eventually. And by the way, you're, talking, ab- you're talking about the original, not the remake, of course. No, I don't want to pay 20 bucks for that shit yet. <laughs> you ever want to do The Craft, because that's a movie I saw at 12 years old as well, and I've seen, like, probably 50 times. Both of you have open invitations on things. The Craft, though, does have a long <laughs> list of people, but I can kick some of them out. Uh, that's yeah. a popular one. People love The Craft, that's for sure. Hiding Out, not it's as popular. It's not popular. Mike, if no, I would have because... known, you would have been invited as well. Trust me. <laughs> it's all good. Because I just good. drunkenly claimed it. That and The Heavenly Kid, like, movies that only I felt like I'd ever seen. 
Yeah, it's weird too because like the Heavenly Kid came up on my podcast like a week before you did it, Brian. Uh, when we were talking about Meatballs Three, it's still not released yet because um, I'm a lazy bastard. But like, <laughs> is Lewis in it? Is my boyfriend Lewis Smith in it? No, but like an angel from heaven comes down to help some kid get popular so she can earn her wings. It's like it's a <laughs> it's a woman at camp. It's not a '50s greaser. But, like, it's essentially the same movie. Yeah. But to make that work, it would have had to been a late 60s greaser who would have been, like, totally out of touch by well, them, too. Well, so yeah. she was, like, a late 70s porn star, actually. Oh, <laughs> I love that stuff. Oh, I see. I love a good trashy porn star who tries to make it, like, the mainstream. Because when they get their tits out, I don't feel bad. It's like <laughs> she, she comes back to Earth to earn her wings so she doesn't go yeah. to hell or something. I don't know. Right? Like, you feel bad for E.G. Daly because she's an actress and basically got bamboozled into getting her boobs out. Late 70s porn stars getting their tits out or Betsy Russell, more power to them. I just came across a picture, though, of Keith Coogan with Corey Feldman. And, like, <gasps> I, oh, I, <laughs> oh I've, sent, I've sent that picture to Kate. I think I sent that picture what to Kate. What is that for? He's wearing a shirt that says straight? He just had, like, that documentary or something. He tried to just have a documentary about uh, children in the industry, but then um, Alex Winter actually, like, came out with, like, a very good one about children, mm-hmm. like, actors and stuff, and, like, no Poor one paid Alex attention Winter. to it. We'll talk about that in our Corey month, which you both oh, are invited to, of it's course. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Can I book myself for Lost Boys? Because it's vampires. Well, we just did Lost Boys while you oh, were on your mind. Twitter hiatus. But that was... That was... <laughs> You're eating worms, Michael. Like, I legit sang bars from the song dream a little dream to cement my slot on that episode one day i was like on here crooning like mama cass dream a little I love dream. That. oh the more people saying dream a little dream of me than mama cass i, I used to oh, have yeah i know i just just the one that like came to mind <laughs> just quickly before we move off the Corys, mike i know you know this and kate i just mentioned to you we do have a lifetime series on this network where joe two comes on and shows me a lifetime film <gasps> I did a whole PowerPoint presentation about Lifetime movies and NBC Monday Night Movies in the 90s for an ex-boyfriend. I have like 50 <laughs> movies in there. Oh, wow. So so maybe you'd be a fan of this series. But there is actually a Lifetime movie about the life of the two Corys, and we'll, we'll, we will yep, be talking yep. about it. I have seen it. Mike, you're old enough to remember this. Do you remember NBC in the 90s would have like a made-for-TV movie about like teen eating disorders every Monday night? Oh, for, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there was like legit, like the term after-school special isn't like a misnomer. Like there, you would get home no. from school and there would be like the ABC after-school special and there yeah. would be specials on the weekend and like many of the times, like that's how I learned about like alcoholism because Ben Affleck was an alcoholic or like yep. I learned about steroids because Ben Affleck was taking steroids. Like, <laughs> I learned about like beating your girlfriend because Ben Affleck was beating his girlfriend. <laughs> like it was oh, so no. always Ben Affleck for some reason. I will send you this link, Brian, because it's amazing. But like I just rewatched the Hillary Duff uh, sorority girl hazing movie with uh, Mark Paul uh, Glossier on Lifetime Movie Club that was made in 97 with Jenna Von Oy, who was six and blonde who fucking died because of hazing wow there was one when helen hunt i think was on crystal meth and jumped out a window yes yes 
We have to do some after-school specials here. I want to definitely do that. My favorite one is the one where Marley Shelton has an eating disorder, and she and her like, and they have like a pact. And I think they might be gymnasts, and one of them fucking dies because their bones break in a car crash because of the eating disorder. It's like my favorite one. And there's one where Peter Facinelli from um, Twilight Fame. From what I've heard of that film, yeah. Twilight film. He kills himself, and it's all. It's like remember. It's called like remembering Peter or something. And I watched it. I was so upset. I talked to my mom about it, and she got so upset because i was like 13 years old she's like you're not gonna kill yourself are you i'm like no i'm just talking about this movie i saw that really bothered me oh 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 okay i know we need to move on but there's also 1995 my favorite made for tv movie of all time carrie russell dan fucking cortez it's a remake of no. the lottery yeah yeah i've seen that i've seen that yeah With shirley they- jackson yes it's so fucking good i, I don't know how school. they made it two-hour movie it was so good i love carrie dan Russell. cortez i didn't oh realize dan God. cortez was in that that's amazing yes yes and then the other really good movie which has nothing to do with after school specials is the beast 1996 about a killer giant squid <laughs> thanks for letting us know about it though i own it on dvd it played on nbc a two-part miniseries done okay i know you have a lot of projects going forward going for you but <laughs> You're stealthily booking yourself on a lot of high school slumber party episodes, so. You just tell me, just like with the say anything, you give me like a two days heads up and maybe I'll be sober. Maybe I won't be. It's a crapshoot. But, you know, we'll we'll have a good time nonetheless. But now you got me itching to do like a uh, after school special month at the very least. Oh, I will send you my power. I'm not kidding. I, I put a PowerPoint presentation of about 50 movies for my shitty English boyfriend at the time. (laughs) <laughs> and it's amazing and i've sent it to subsequent boyfriends because it's wow. so good yeah secondhand thirdhand presentations it's really good and by the way we're getting super off topic but lachlan monroe is the king of made for 90s tv movies you cannot top a lachlan like lachlan monroe i will take your word for it <laughs> but he knows who lachlan monroe unless they fucking know who lachlan monroe is yeah. Mike, you know who Lachlan Monroe is. He looks very familiar, I'll tell you that much. He, he... <laughs> he looks like he's always smelling a fart. He's in Scary Movie. Yes, yes he is. In Dracula 2000. Oh my god. Well, I mean, clearly that's where I knew him from. <laughs> well, Mike, you might cover that one day when Dan Cologne drops out on your Monsters That Made Us podcast, no. <laughs> Dracula 2000. You might get there. All in I'm t- saying is if Cage Club ever does Gerard Butler movies, you book me for all of them. Well, well I mean. We are going to slowly but surely get through all those Draculas one day. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> do, you, do you like how he ignored the whole, I'm volunteering for Gerard Butler's? Well, we'll do monster movies sometime, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think many people know about your whole uh, concept project that you're working on with Gerard Butler and Con Air 2. With the Angel Has Fallen series made with Twilight dolls? I still can't get them cheap or else I will do that. <laughs> Some, yes, whatever it was. <laughs> when you get them cheap, we'll all watch it. It's called Hummingbird Has Fallen. And it's I, a combination I, of Con Air 2 plus the Angel Has Fallen series. I don't know how he's ever going to be known as anyone but Leonidas. But sure, the Angel from the Fallen Has Fallen trilogy Excuse of me, Mike Bannon, White House movies. Mike fucking Bannon, where he always just like... Someone tries, okay, just picture this. Mike Bannon is, no, I forget. Who's, someone's running for president. I'm a little drunk. Someone's running for president, and Mike Bannon and Cameron Poe have to work together to get the plane safely down because Trisha Poe is on. Oh, Vince Larkin's running for president, and Trisha Poe's <laughs> on his campaign trail. I, I, got it, I got it all scripted out. Don't worry. Well, we can't wait for that, but we should really talk about some scenes from <laughs> Valley, Valley Girl. Girl. <laughs> if you're a Valley Girl fan, uh, hopefully I put a time code for you to fast forward all that, but if not, 
Hopefully I edited well. Probably not. But whatever. <laughs> Let's talk Valley Girl. I mean, we've talked a lot about it, so we don't have to go scene by scene, obviously. I love, though, this the opening and stuff, because it's stuff we talked about, right? It's the 80s. It's credit cards. It's materialisms. You, you talked about the whole, also the whole, uh, you know, flying over the Hollywood sign and seeing the valley, the mall. Everything in this early part feels like a... Um, not a documentary, but like something to show us. Like this is what the valley is in 1983. A time capsule. Yes. Oh, for sure. Time capsule, and I love it. Someone's got a Woody well, Woodpecker an, pin. It's amazing. As an LA person, well, as an ex-LA person, the thing that I think is really funny is how they're able to go from Sherman Oaks down to Malibu, back to like Canoga Park for a party in a day. You can't do that. Maybe you could do that during lockdown in LA, but you can't fucking do that in normal LA traffic. Like Sherman Oaks to Malibu is an easy hour and a half long down, two hours back trip. The, the magic of movie making. Right. <laughs> but I think you probably could, like, and I, this is very boring for anyone who doesn't live in LA, but you literally spend half your life in traffic and, like, yet these girls magically get to zip around everywhere. Who knows? That's part of their privilege for being Valley Girls. It's, you know, just, it's <laughs> part of the context, their subtext, their part of the text but i'm loving the mall culture experience here and this is just like good filmmaking also i feel like right out of the gate like lots of good coverage and like i can follow what's going on like the it's funny because i think like the the first like maybe the third shot of the movie and like the second to last or third to last shot of the movie is of the sherman oaks mall the galleria or whatever uh, so like it's very predominant uh, right out of the gate and it's awesome i love seeing it it's like Stranger Things season three eat your heart out and it still exists is it bitching though it's tubular <laughs> it still exists that's cool i was curious malls are dying around around the country so i'm happy it still exists the gallery is still around but they filmed that in torrance so like you know it's a little different because torrance is where buffy was filmed in the south to torrance uh, we're mixing so many high school films here, but uh, cool. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what's the what's Torrance? Who's that? What's that from? Remind the me. Torrance is from the film Bring It On with Kirsten Dunst. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's the, the Toro Torrance. Yeah. So Torrance High School is where Buffy the Vampire and 90210 was filmed, and I broke in there and I have pictures of me there. You broke in? Yeah. Oh. Should I admit? Ah, oh, it's fine. Such of limitations. Yeah, about four, four or five years ago, my friend and I went to Torrance High School, and all the doors were open. So we went to the library where Buffy took place, and maybe I got a free Fear Street book from there because they had a free like book like shelf like for high school to students. And like we looked at where Jenny Calendar was killed, like all the outdoor shots, like. Yeah, we went there. It was amazing. That little courtyard where all the shows were filmed is extremely small. Wow. That's, one, cool to hear, too. A lot of the fans of this podcast will appreciate that. And oh, our good friend, Mike, Mr. Larson, Christian Larson, big 90210 fan, he'll you know, get very excited about hearing that. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I've always took him as more of the Melrose Place uh, specialist. But <laughs> he he I, is a Melrose I, Place specialist. He's I, the I one. think I might have I might have watched almost every season of 90210 when it aired. <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, fuck yeah. Brendan Walsh loved him. I'm, I've got sideburns right now. We- <gasps> You're my kind of person, Mike. You're my kind of guy. <laughs> so I, I'm amazed by this movie that we really don't meet Nicolas Cage, who to me is obviously, you know, the breakout person of this film, until we get to that beach scene, right? Yeah. Rondé. 
But that's not like too too far because like I was no. thinking about like there's the scene at the mall and they you know she runs into her ex boyfriend on the escalator and everything and there's a lot of great exposition there you know they're all talking like aliens you know in their valley language and stuff so it's like taking a minute to decode I feel like they lay it on really thick at the beginning and sort of either you become acclimated by the end or they just like kind of eased up on it a yeah bit. they have these great scenes where they're like. At least two straight minutes of them just talking. And I love that kind of shit. That, I, I gotta say, that's not necessarily decoding for a woman. That's how we spoke to each other as Again, teenagers. Again, I'm an ignorant idiot. So, I mean. <laughs> like, I think I think it's actually, like, it's, I think it's interesting. Because it's a real, like, sort of slice of life. How teenage girls talk to each other. Because that's what we talked about. Like, at yeah. one point, they're talking about spunk in the beginning. Yep. That's a, yeah. Like, Right? Or like birth control. Like that's how we talked. Totally uninformed and stupid. And yet we all took it as gospel. And and it does have that documentary edge to it, Brian. Like it does very much feel sort of like this fly on the wall aspect. Like the only thing missing is the handheld camera movement, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and like, you know, inferior editing. But like other than that, like I do feel like I'm just like sitting there at the table or when they're at the beach, I'm just laying on like the blanket next to them. And then like I'm one of the kids at the party. Like it's crazy. It's like it's like the mall, then the beach, then the party. It's like the first yeah. like half hour of this movie is just like, look how like our lives of leisure and luxury in the valley and like not a care in the world like it's so perfectly set up for like this this like plastic paradise which i gotta be honest with you i've always thought of this movie a certain way from especially seeing like the dvd cover and i don't know just images online i was shocked with the amount of that there was almost like documentary stuff of just like culture if that makes sense. It wasn't just some, like some corny puff piece. It's not just culture. It's teenage girl culture. So like it, in that respect, I'm not shocked because if you have a woman director and you have a female cast, that seems really natural to us, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. Like that's how we spoke. That's like, that's the shit we talked about. That was our day. Uh, so that goes on to something like when Joey, Kara, and I were doing the Amy Heckerling series on Cinemakers, like that's something that I really came to appreciate is the just just a different perspective, a fresh point of view, like as a guy, like, and I'm, I mean, I know, like, believe me, I know people are tired of, of the male point of view like the straight male guy made enough movies out there and like even i'm sick of it like i need a different perspective than something of my own you know what i'm saying and so like i definitely feel that come through with valley girl like several times on this episode i've made a fool of myself because of my ignorance and and stuff so like i'm totally down for all of that and i i couldn't be more appreciative when that when that comes around doesn't it make you want more doesn't it just make that's you exactly want- like we got so irate over on the heckerling stuff sometimes it's because like this is this has been missing like we've been deprived like you know what i'm saying like whoever decided that we should not get this why because it's better than what we've been getting is that the problem like you're jealous it's so let's just acknowledge too that like this is a white lady so like if we had a black lady or a latino lady directing this it could be a completely different perspective and characters too and like i think that is the biggest push like i in my past like two years I've tried not to read anything written by a white guy and tried pretty hard not to read anything by a white woman because I just want a different perspective. Like we're all in our thirties now and from a completely selfish point of view, these fucking stories get old. There's only so many ways people can tell a story. Right. And like, 
at a certain point, you just want that different perspective. And I think that this is the biggest push like for diversity in filmmaking. Like I said, from a selfish perspective, it's you want the fresh take on the story. Oh, 100%. And it gets lost. I'm someone who, like, I do appreciate tales from all sides. Again, like, I'm a Latin person, so I, I, I rarely have seen, like, Latin movies or whatever. However, like, representation is so important. That doesn't mean that this is what, like, the fucking people on Twitter. Sorry, I'm getting in my soapbox. This is what they get wrong, though. It's not like you're trying to delete all the other stories, but like different people's perspectives is so cool and so important. And it's awesome to see a different point of view. And Kate, just to like your credit, not to like blow smoke up your ass here, but like one of the, <laughs> one of the most important things I think said on this podcast was originally when we we're talking about Twilight and FYI, people still shit on me for covering Twilight films. Every week I get someone who's like, when I, when I release a Twilight episode, I get multiple people coming out and saying, you're talking about Twilight? All right, I'll listen to your other episodes, but I can't listen to that one. It's always... Tr- Fuck all y'all shitting on Twilight. <laughs> I'll fight you too. No, but you were so right when you said people just tend to shit on things that is made for teenage girls. And on this podcast, y'all? like it made me realize that so much... And it's like changed my whole perspective on everything because it's so right. But I'll say this, Valley Girl, I don't think is positioned in that way. Valley Girl should be considered like an iconic thing, like a Clueless or director Mm -hmm. who is a woman put this out there, has realistic dialogue between women. Valley Girl is not sold as that at all. It's always sold as, oh, look at Nicolas Cage's goofy first movie. Yeah, or as, you know, uh, as I said earlier, like as a Romeo and Juliet update or something. Like, it's always sort of written off as less than, I feel, than it is and stuff. But it's kind of a morality play, right? Like, there's a lot of lessons going on here, and there's value to it all. And I think that at the time, too, this was a new emergent sort of phenomenon in teen culture. Like, kids, rich kids, not just rich kids, but kids were getting jobs, right? So they, we talked about this, I think, a bunch over on Early Cage, too, and, and even maybe a little over on Clueless, but like kids had money to do what they wanted, right? And and cars and jobs and could go out and party and weren't like, didn't have to rely on anybody else. And so like everyone started growing up real fast, like all around each other. And that ended up having them like experience adult situations earlier. And I feel like that shifted the entire teen dynamic. And so I don't know, I feel like this is a good representation of that sort of period where things are rapidly changing. There's a lot to take in. You know, there's tons of peer pressure. I'm sure that was a thing in the 50s and 40s too. But man, if that wasn't like drilled into your fucking skull every day during the 80s and 90s, peer pressure and all that shit. So like, you know, I feel like there's... uh, there's more to it than just what it's at face value. It's not as shallow as you'd think a Valley Girl might be. To jump in, though, and not... I think you're right, Mike, but at the same time, I don't think we'd have to make these defenses if this was a story about a dude directed by a dude. And, like, I'm I'm a feminist. I'll, I'll say it. So I, I, I think that this is a, a female story, fundamentally. This is a female story directed by a woman. It's centered around women and their relationships. In fact, Randy's incidental. So I think it's like, in a way, kind of fucking bullshit. We have to justify what a great movie this is because if this were, you know, whatever random high school boy movie, we could be like, oh yeah, it's a classic. But in some way we have to like convince people of its art. And that's 
that's bullshit. Like female-centered movies are few and far between, especially a female-centered movie with a female director. I can only think of Clueless in that respect. Like I, yeah. right? So in this genre, and the fact you're not that, wrong, right? So and like Twilight, like literally, it's one every fifteen to twenty years. <laughs> so and the fact that you still have people like I won't watch Twilight, like fuck you. What makes you so much better than a female-centered story that tells a story really well? If the default is white male, because again, I can't think of, God, I can't think of any 80s movie that's directed by a black woman about a black girl. I can't. No, I don't think that I can't. Exactly. So it's like, it sucks that we have to make baby steps. And it, frankly, it sucks that it's still like under a patina of racism and like fucking white supremacy. But we need to tell more stories because at the end of the day, I think what we've all agreed upon today is that diversity makes the story better and it broadens your horizon and gives you a glimpse into another world. And again, uh, I'm being a little too heartfelt. So I'll just say, I will fucking fight anyone who shits on twilight to Brian. (laughs) Blackpool, three o'clock motherfuckers. (laughs) Two things about that, that just sparked me with. It's just amazing to me that we're talking about this movie like that. And on its (laughs) surface, this is a movie about like, Upper middle class, rich white people in in L.A. And excuse, well, to jump in just for a second, in the valley, it's very clear all of them are working class, and frankly, Hollywood is still that gritty. Like you can still go to punk bars in Hollywood, which is great. Like, and I definitely want to yeah. talk about that, but just quickly with the Twilight thing, some of these people who've said this, I love, and I would love to have on as guests, and I love just as like listeners. But some of you out there who have dissed Twilight are praising stuff and i love this stuff but praising stuff like the goonies and the monster squad and that's great stuff white guys white guys white guys i love those things right but like you can't say that like the goonies bends rules of like whatever (laughs) you can't be like oh that's fun and then twilight oh fuck that you know what i mean come on it's the same thing let's just talk about the goonies just for two brief seconds the girls are just shrieking bitches and a cunt like (laughs) The, the main, like, fucking, like, criminal mom is a fucking cunt. So, like, no, those women are archetypes. And all I can tell you is that you guys are a minority because all the Twilight shit I've tried to buy on, like, eBay and Amazon, it is, like, 100x the, the price now. My little Twilight Illustrated Encyclopedia I bought for $4 in January and now goes for $80 on Amazon. Well, again, we, we've discussed this, but, you know... You and I started talking Twilight on this podcast, and then it seemed like everyone started talking Twilight on the podcast. <laughs> but whatever. That's fine. We're all happy to forward I, the movie. I like our I like our little political soapbox we just got on, guys. Like I feel like that's kind of the the context that's missing sometimes in these teen movies is like beating someone over the head, reminding them, well, this was made by white boys for white boys. And like isn't it great when you get another perspective here? Again, I don't want to dismiss those other films because I enjoy a lot of those other films. No, they're great. But just think of what we lost out on by yeah. only having certain people tell stories. I I also think like, you know, if people, I mean, it's tough too because when I was a kid, like I didn't realize that this was directed by a woman. I never bothered to read the credits, you know? And God, I think no. that's a whole no, other no. issue too is just the idea of like, 
you have like you know who wrote your favorite book like why don't i why didn't i know who directed my favorite movies or this and that and like why didn't i then go and try and champion those kinds of things and everything but yeah i mean i'm just like beyond appreciative that uh that this movie exists but it's also very funny like <laughs> i think you hit the nail on the head there kate at one point where you're like this is a movie this is like a, a female-centric movie for first and foremost for those viewers like at the time like there were plenty like guys can go they had their weird science you know what i'm saying like and i fully Ugh. i'm fully on board with uh with all that you were uh, dropping all that knowledge and science that was coming out there uh sounded great and everything but uh yeah you know it's it's great like guys guys should uh, not take this movie for granted like if you watch this and took it seriously you might understand a thing or two a little bit better or in the very least have some empathy right because yeah. what are movies if they don't teach us empathy and i think the best movies among us will do that again like full disclosure i fucking hate weird science but i love me some 16 candles and i love me some like trashy betsy wrestle movies like there's room for everybody but i feel like movies like valley girl don't get enough credit in like the lexicon and like frankly the education of these like high school movies and i I love high school movies. This is why I'm always on this podcast because I love high school movies. And I just feel like women are completely underrepresented and frankly, people of color, minorities, black, Latino, indigenous, Asian, they're fucking non-existent in the genre. And I would love nothing more than to have more voices because I just feel like there's some universal truth of who you are at 17. And it only represents, like, Valley Girl represents me as an upper middle class white girl. But, hell, I'd love everyone to have those movies that are touch points. Be like, this movie gets me, you know? So I thought that was the perfect time to end part one of our two-part series on Valley Girl. Don't forget to tune in this Friday for part two. We're continuing it. The wine will continue flowing. You know that's true. We'll probably get sillier. But I thought that was a nice time to end because we actually seemed a little bit smart right there. Kate Hudson on her soapbox making some really good points. Mike Manzi making some really good points. Really showing that this movie is an iconic, I'll say it again, iconic high school film. And I think it gets overlooked. I think too many people look, oh, this is a goofy Nicolas Cage film from the 80s. No, it's actually really important. It has a lot of heart. And if you listen to that whole first half of the episode and you don't think that, shame on you. But give it a second chance, watch it again, and listen to our episode on Friday. But I highly doubt that. Everyone I talk to really likes this movie. I think it needs to get a little bit of more notoriety. I think it needs a little bit more of a soapbox itself. And hopefully we could do that here. So big thank you to both Kate and Mike for part one. Like I said, you will hear them again on part two, along with myself. It's going to be fun. Cage Club Podcast Network, or wherever you're listening right now, cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me. No trailer today. Your homework is just to maybe rewatch Valley Girl, or if not, just show up. Your homework is to show up on Friday and listen to our episode on Valley Girl. I'm excited for it. By the way, the Hall of Fame ballots have gone out. I might send a little bit more out to some VIPs. Our Hall of Fame episode is going to be amazing. And if you're not familiar with it, we're just going to elect some people into the High School Slumber Party Hall of Fame. I shouldn't say some people. I should say icons of teen films, actors and filmmakers. They'll get in. I can't wait to tell you who's winning this. And I can't wait to tell you who's going to have this prestigious honor for the inaugural class 
of the Hall of Fame. But uh, getting a little sleepy, getting a little tired, getting ready to edit part two of this wonderful, wonderful Valley Girl episode. So let me leave you with a song. Kate said it was her favorite song in the movie. It's by a band called Sparks, eaten by the monster. And remember one more thing, guys. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. And, 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 don't forget, part two on Friday if I hadn't said it enough. Later, dudes. Don't let it get me. Don't let it get me out. Don't let it get me still here? It's over. Go home. Go.